For this last episode of our 2019 season, we wanted to end with an impactful discussion about something that a lot of people can use to their benefit. Now, there's a growing movement that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about just yet. We've touched upon it before, hinted at it, but never really met it head on. It has modest roots in our country, but it's seen 5x growth, maybe more over the past few years. So it's exploding like crazy. It's saving people money in healthcare coverage and doing something that traditional health insurance isn't. It's actually making sense to people. Health shares or medical sharing communities. They've had a bit of a roller coaster of a history. Now, going back in the time before the health insurance industry as we know it today existed, groups of people would band together to share unexpected costs that pop up. These were religious groups, unions, sometimes just local communities of neighbors. Once the behemoths of the insurance world got involved and government interference increased, the medical sharing communities became more of a niche product, really only accessible to a few select groups of people out there. Since the ACA, health shares have actually seen a resurgent. They're growing like crazy and they're becoming more and more inclusive. They're popular, again, because they're simple and they're affordable. Today's episode features a look inside the history, functions, and benefits of one of the main players in this growing movement. From the Freedom HealthWorks Network, this is Healthcare Americana. Today's podcast is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks, a company on a mission to turn healthcare delivery on its head. It works to support all physicians who are interested in direct care, cutting out insurance companies from their practices, and to spread the word of this model to everyone, including employers. For more information on direct care, visit freedomhealthworks.com and by the great people at the Free Market Medical Association. They're connecting true buyers and sellers of healthcare, educating and motivating them to work together based upon mutually beneficial relationship, which is also built on three pillars, price, value, and equality. For more information, visit fmma.org. I'm Christopher Habig, and you're listening to Healthcare Americana. For this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Tony Dale, founder and chairman of Sidera, a medical cost-sharing community. Dr. Dale, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, health shares are kind of a unique new animal. So first question to you, what exactly is a medical cost-sharing community? Okay, well, that's uh, not a as simple a question to answer as perhaps we would all hope, uh, because I have to be so careful of language. Uh, I think the first thing to say is it is not an insurance program. Instead, it's an alternative. Uh, It's a completely different approach, primarily in this country having been pioneered within the faith or Christian community, uh, where there were some very large, rather light cooperatives that uh, grew up in the uh, 80s and 90s, Uh, where large numbers of people uh, on a completely voluntary basis literally share each other's medical bills with no transfer of risk. Uh, And uh, that approach is what we have adapted within the medical cost-sharing model, uh, which is available to all people and not just to people of faith. So it is extended into more of a secular focus, um, taking what um, people of faith used to do back in the days, band together, group together, share the risk, and now it's taking that kind of into the, the modern world. Yes, that, that would be accurate, except uh, if I was being technically correct, I probably wouldn't talk about sharing the risk. Uh, instead, I would say what we're doing is we're voluntarily giving to each other in uh, any given situation where someone has a need. So why have you taken this approach? It's a, it's a pretty unique animal. Uh, 
Uh, okay, now, now that is a great question because it is a unique animal and it's so different from what people know in the insurance model. Uh, I've taken this approach because I had the privilege of working and still do, uh, have worked for about 20, 25 years now with the Christian healthcare sharing ministries that were exempted within the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and within a, a, another company, uh, the Caris Group that I also founded, uh, have had extensive experience of watching uh, how that model works and comparing it to the insurance model. Uh, because in the Caris Group, we also deal with insurance companies and help them and negotiate on behalf of uh, their members. Uh, and that 20 years of experience said to me that actually the medical cost sharing model uh, is every bit as good. Uh, in many respects, I feel it's better, uh, certainly in experience over many years, two decades, seeing far less complaints coming from members of these cost sharing communities than we uh, heard from uh, people who had insurance programs. So with that background, I, I said there has to be a way uh, to take this to the broader public and not to have this just as a small sort of sideshow that the government has allowed within the Affordable Care Act, which is barely known out in the marketplace. Right, right. So you mentioned 20 years ago, you found this to be something that you wanted to spend the rest of your life doing. Why was that? What, what made you get involved? Well, of course, I'm a family doctor by background. Uh, so I, d I don't think I could say that 20 years ago I made that decision. I had no idea when I started the Keras Group that it was going to, to lead to the sequence of events that have subsequently followed. But what I did know and what led to the starting of the Keras Group was an injury to myself. So I tell people that uh, I started in business by accident. Uh, unfortunately, the accident was to me. Uh, and uh, as I paid for those uh, medical costs, uh, as myself a part of one of those uh, healthcare sharing ministries, uh, I realized that I was being asked to pay outrageous prices. Now, this was back in 1996 when I was a relatively new in immigrant. I'd only been here from the UK for, uh, you know, for nine years at that point and had had no direct access to the clinical side of the healthcare system here. So I challenged all of my bills. And in challenging the bills, I was astounded when everybody just folded. It was like, oh, okay, well, if you're questioning uh, the, the value of it, what do you think is the value? So I offered to pay half of everything. Now, that was, knowing what I know now, I would have never offered to pay half. That was far too much. Right, a very generous, uh, very generous <laughs> offer on your part. That was a very generous offer on my part. But it did wake me up to what was happening. And I realized, at least for these Christian ministries, of which I happen to be a part of one, I could help them with the background and knowledge in my own medical experience. Out of that, I began to, over the years, uh, see there's far more going on under the surface than I'd even begun to understand with my own uh, experience of the system. Uh, and that led to the conviction that we needed to find a way to take this to the country at large. Now, it, it's, a, it's an incredible story, and it's something that we hear a lot that I didn't know that change was possible until I was a part of the system or I myself as a medical professional became a patient. Would you have taken this path if you didn't have that experience of having an accident? I think it's highly unlikely I would have taken this path because uh, I had not moved to the United States to practice medicine, but to actually work with physicians in a more almost sort of academic capacity. And so I, I knew nothing about that area. I came from a, a British socialized system. 
I loved what I did in England because I loved the patients. I wasn't enamored with the actual type of medicine we practiced because I saw so many restrictions within the socialized system. Uh, and then, you know, over those many years of beginning to help patients on the costs, beginning to get interested and involved in the sort of political side, seeing the Affordable Care Act come in and really being fully persuaded that whatever the intentions of the people, which, you know, I, I still think probably their intentions were good, uh, it was perfectly obvious to me that all it would do is dramatically elevate cost, which is exactly what happened. And that's what led to my conviction that we needed to take a really good system that really was providing affordable health care, namely the Christian healthcare share methodology, and find a way to legally make that available to everybody and not have it limited just to people of faith. Totally understandable. So you touched upon the ACA and then you've talked about a little bit of the differences, but I want to hear you talk about the actual differences. Give us a rundown of how Sidera and the medical cost sharing community is different than a typical, what we would normally perceive as an insurance plan. Okay. Well, I, I think the first issue for everyone to understand that uh, is in the medical cost sharing world, there is no transfer risk. Okay, now philosophically, this has some very important ramifications, uh, which really, uh, I guess, undergirded a lot of my thinking as I tried to figure out how to bring this to the public at large. Patients need to be actively involved. We tend to be very poor consumers when we allow third parties to take over full responsibility for cost. So in the British sort of National Health Service, which is really roughly where uh, the Democrats would like to take us in terms of Medicare for all. Uh, you have the government uh, who is paying for this out of people's taxes, but they don't sort of see it or feel it at the point of uh, needing medical care. Uh, so there's someone between the doctor and the patient. And I can tell you from many years of experience of working in that context, when there's someone, whether it's the government or the insurance company, between the doctor and the patient, the doctor loses respect for the patient and the patient loses respect for the doctor because neither of them experience that effective transfer of value that happens when money changes hands. So very important to understand that third-party payer systems begin to remove the consumer, the patient, from a direct relationship with the doctor and a direct relationship with an understanding of the value of what's happening. So now I have my knee injury, which is why, you know, I had my brush there in 96 with the American healthcare system. Uh, and I probably don't care whether my MRI is done on one side of the street or the other, because I don't know. And even the doctor doesn't know and doesn't tell me that on one side of the street in the hospital, I'm going to pay $3,000 for that MRI. And on the other side of the street in a freestanding radiology unit, I might pay $400. Well, that's a tenfold difference. Now, multiply that across everything that goes on in the medical world. And if we're not interested and concerned and involved in our own health care, of course, the price is just going to escalate, which is exactly what's happening. Right. And they're hiding behind a lack of transparency and the price differential is just absolutely staggering. We hear a lot of, uh, from physicians who say, I'm being marginalized. I spent, uh, I spent a decade in my life devoted to learning how to care for patients. But when people are hiding behind that third-party payer, they think that just because I have a stethoscope around my neck and a white coat on, I am the exact same as everybody else. 
and that's just never true. You're going to have quality care differences all over the world. So do you think that a marginalization of our most trusted, needed medical professionals have happened since third-party payers? Absolutely. I think that has happened, Chris. And, uh, you know, as I look at my own experience of medical practice, I only had very, very limited experience here in the States as a student, uh, actually, but many years of experience in the UK before I moved here, and of course, have many physician friends. If you just look at something as simple as time, you know, in a fee-for-service model where, you know, the insurance company is pushing you to see as many patients as possible, or the government is pushing you to see as many patients as possible, American doctors think they're rushed uh, when they have maybe 12 to 15 minutes typically with a patient, although I would say most of them actually end up spending less. Most of their time is looking at the computer nowadays, filling out, you know, the electronic medical record, you know, trying to keep up with the paperwork, so-called. Which is sad. Uh, yeah. even, even at 12 to 15 minutes to a British physician under the socialized system, that sounds like a luxury. Uh, you know, we spent maybe six or seven minutes with our patients in the family practice environment. Neither of those models is adequate to provide real medical care. So you literally have the situation where a patient goes in, it's one of the few times they get to see the doctor, they've had their 10 or 12 minutes, uh, and maybe dealt with the primary thing they came on, and then they say, oh, but doctor, could I also? Increasingly, doctors are interrupting at that point and saying, no, sorry, you can't. Actually, if there's something else, we have to set up another appointment. Okay, this is a hopeless system. There's no real relationship. And I grew up in an environment, my dad was a family doctor, his dad was a family doctor before that. I remember doctors taking all the time they needed with their patients. I remember them going and visiting patients in their home. I remember, you know, if patients couldn't afford it, they would give us a turkey for Christmas or something like that. Uh, and it's a completely different world when the doctor and patient are in a true doctor-patient relationship where both really love and respect each other and are trying to do the best for each other. I love that you brought up the, uh, the, the turkey as a payment. Uh, you know, a barter system is so unique. And we're starting to see that a little bit. Obviously, big proponents here at Freedom Health Works of a direct primary care movement where you can actually make your own prices with people and make your own private agreements and not have to worry about being in violation of Medicare or any type of law that no one's even read when it was passed. So huge, huge weight off of uh, physicians' shoulders to practice the way that they, they want to be, obviously. So going back to the medical cost sharing community, you saw the light, so to speak, in 1996 uh, with a knee injury. You started out on this path. Fast forward to the Affordable Care Act. How or what was the impact of this piece of legislation on what you were seeing from the uh, Christian communities or the medical cost sharing? Well, in the Affordable Care Act, uh, there was a couple of paragraphs in the middle of you know, 2,000 pages uh, that exempted any of the Christian healthcare sharing ministries that existed on December 31st of 1999. And I'm sure the, the sort of underlying philosophy there was, oh, well, if they've been in existence for 10 years, they're probably stable, they're probably okay, uh, let's exempt them. It only represents a, a couple of hundred thousand people. And in 2010, it did only represent a couple of hundred thousand people. Uh, but it also shunted them over to one side, basically said, we don't want this to spread. You can't even start uh, other ministries under the same guidelines. This is only for the people who are doing this and who can sign their statements of faith. 
I don't think there had been any anticipation at the political level of the sort of backlash that there might be to the ACA. Uh, and so what actually happened at that was that these existing healthcare sharing ministries began to expand very rapidly. And, uh, you know, over the last uh, eight or nine years, they probably multiplied by a factor of five, maybe gone from a quarter of a million to, to one and a half million people involved in those ministries. Uh, but it also began to put other strains onto the system because obviously lots of people said, well, why can't other folks start this type of thing? Uh, and folk found various ways to, from my perspective, game the system, maybe just find a, a small Mennonite church that, you know, had 200 members in their program who all just fit under the ACA guideline to get the exemption uh, and then to expand that group, which, you know, wasn't at all the intention. I looked at all this and I said, no, we're, we're not trying to game the system. What we're trying to do is say, here is a methodology that is working relatively well, not perfectly, uh, but relatively well. Let's find a legitimate way to take this to everyone. Uh, and particularly from my own faith background, uh, I would feel that uh, if there's a good system, why would it only be available to Christians? Why wouldn't we as Christians make it available to absolutely everybody? Beyond inclusive, And why right. wouldn't the government make it available to everybody? Right. It's an amazing story, and it's a great thought, too, of... of uh opening it up. And, and we love those type of stories where it's like, you know, well, let's not just carve out a little piece of paradise for ourselves. Let's open paradise up for everybody here and get them in, get the best treatment, get the best options, most affordable, actual, you know, affordable care for as many people as possible. So I love that message. So let's talk a little bit more nuts and bolts about how Sidera functions and how your members file for, um, you know, any cost sharing, any need-based uh, assistance there. So first of all, if someone's looking at this and saying, well, I have great health insurance, which to me and, you know, to our team isn't really a thing if you can't find a doctor to take care of you or somebody you trust. But from a membership standpoint, what are some of the risks that people are talking about when they first want to join Sidera? What exists out there uh, for these type of people looking at just the risks specifically at this point? Okay, well, let, let's think about that issue of risk for a moment, because really we, we have to start from the reality that for the vast majority of people, uh, they actually are facing very significant risk with their health insurance plan. We've sort of been sold this story that, and uh, it's been reinforced by the government and the Affordable Care Act that everybody has to have insurance because then the insurance is going to take care of you. I actually view that as a complete lie because what's happened, uh, particularly over the last sort of 10 years uh, of the Affordable Care Act, uh, is that we've moved to a place where, yes, absolutely the vast majority of people have insurance and it does not take care of them. Because what we now have is a country that is functionally uninsured. What I mean by that is everybody's paying their high premiums for a very high deductible approach to insurance. So this is kind of like I have insurance on my house, but I think on my house I'm responsible for the first $6,000. Okay, I happen to be able to afford that. But not everybody could. They might buy a different type of insurance where they could uh, have bring their deductible down to a thousand. But the typical deductible healthcare-wise now is in that five thousand region for an individual, or maybe fifteen thousand for the family. 
Uh, and that means that for maybe eight to nine out of 10 people in this country, if they get sick, even though they've been paying this expensive premium, along with everything their employer has been paying as well, which very often the employee doesn't know or understand, and now they get sick, for 19 out of 20 people in any given year, they're never gonna hit that $5,000 deductible. So even though they've been paying their insurance, they're not gonna get any help from the insurance company to pay for that need. Uh, and so the deductibles having climbed are crippling the country. And what I see happening is a massive transfer of wealth from the ordinary working person who cannot afford their $5,000 deductible, but now the vast majority of their medical need is still paid by them into the system, which is gobbling up the wealth of the nation. I love the term functionally uninsured. It's something we've you've used a lot over the episodes of Healthcare Americana and through Freedom Healthworks to explain it. Um, I actually looked it up and, and, I, and the numbers came back that the average American has about $400 in savings to go towards any type of a healthcare emergency. That's not going to cut it for a $5,000, $6,000 or you know, for a family of $15,000 deductible. So Exactly like you said, they're paying premiums in. They're never going to see that money because they can't use it anyways, but they're mandated by law or by custom to have an insurance policy that if something happened, they're going bankrupt anyways. And you know, the tragedy is that the classic use of the term insurance is for only those catastrophic things. And if we could bring health insurance back to where that's all it took care of, rather than being a highly expensive way of paying for the ordinary stuff, then maybe health insurance as a model would be acceptable and useful. But since that currently is not available within the political and economic framework that we have, and all the incentives are aligned so as not to change the system, because obviously the insurance companies, the medical providers, uh, you know, are all gaining from this uh, approach to things, uh, then we need radical alternatives. And sharing is a radical alternative. And the sharing economy is a powerful way of showing people we actually can trust each other and we can take care of each other's needs. Absolutely. And that is a great little segue into my next question here. So give us a high-level view of how Sidera works with, it, with its members. Well, uh, we literally provide a framework where large numbers of people Initially, we began just with groups because of the way the Affordable Care Act uh, language was framed, uh, and that was the only way we could find to uh, take care of some of the legal requirements without people getting any penalty. Uh, but uh, since the tax laws changed, we've been able to open that out to individuals who are part of associations and this type of thing. And large numbers of individuals voluntarily say, I commit to sharing a certain amount of money each month with whoever it is within the community is having a medical need, because that person is fulfilling the same guidelines that I'm fulfilling. Uh, and those basic guidelines are saying, I'm choosing to live healthy. I recognize that I need to have skin in the game, so I'm gonna pay something towards my health costs so that everybody knows I'm engaged. I'm willing to be a part of a community, choose how to learn to navigate the healthcare system, so that we are only spending $400 for an MRI rather than 4,000, or you know, we are getting our knee replacement done somewhere that'll do it for 15,000 rather than 75,000. So I'm making choices that engage me with other people who've made similar choices, and our commitment is we trust each other. And you know what? It works incredibly. 
every medical need that has been presented to Sidera, which is part of our guidelines, uh, has been shared. Uh, and that's exactly the way it should be. We're going to take a quick pause right there and hear from our sponsors, the Free Market Medical Association. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Welcome back to Healthcare Americana. I'm joined by Dr. Tony Dale, founder and chairman of Sidera, a medical cost-sharing community. What are some of the issues that people, uh, you know, maybe in the insurance industry, maybe skeptics, what type of issues do they bring up when you talk to them about what you're doing and what Sidera is doing? Okay, well, there, there are two primary issues, and I think it's best to, to hit them absolutely head on. Uh, the first is, well, oh, but you guys cherry pick. You have certain pre-existing condition exclusions. Okay, well, first of all, we do have certain pre-existing condition exclusions. That's not cherry-picking. That's basic economics 101. If you want to insure your car today because you had a wreck yesterday, I don't think there's an insurance company in the country that will take you on for yesterday's accident. And the fact that the government has the power of coercion and can force the insurance companies to do that does not make sense economically unless someone has the power to put their hand in your pocket and guarantee their profits, which is exactly what the government did in the Affordable Care Act. They said you have to take on pre-existing conditions, which is absolutely the opposite of what insurance is supposed to handle. But to make sure that you do okay, we're going to guarantee you with this so-called 20% medical loss ratio. Okay, well, if you think about the consequence of that, if my profit is limited to a 20%, which even there, it's completely fudged by the way the insurance companies handle so much of this stuff, uh, then what do I want to do? I want to constantly raise premium. Do right. hospitals want to see the price go down? No, because they benefit as well. Right, so, right. you know, the system pushes people in the wrong direction. And we need to find ways to radically alter that system. Right, right. I tend to agree with what you're, what you're saying there. So it sounds like people are so stuck in insurance as a prepaid health plan or as a maintenance plan that they, like you said, they lose sight of what insurance is actually supposed to do, is supposed to treat freak accidents, things that aren't supposed to be happening on a regular basis. You work with a lot of direct primary care practices um, at Sidera. Why is that? Well, we love working with direct primary care practices for a number of reasons. Uh, my own background as a family doctor uh, has taught me to really highly value the doctor-patient relationship. And DPC practices, these membership-based practices, where nowadays uh, I, I don't even like the old term concierge medicine because it implied uh, it was a luxury good. Now, for the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee each morning on your way to work, you can have 24-7 availability to your own family doctor who knows you and you know them and who will take as much time as you want because they're only typically looking after four or 500 patients. Now they can take all the time. When a doctor gives you that amount of time, they're moving you towards health rather than just dealing with sickness. 
They're also not saying to themselves, oh, wow, I can't deal with this. I need to send it to a rheumatologist because I don't have time to get involved. I can only give 10 minutes and this patient needs half an hour. Uh, well, if they've got half an hour, there's less that they need to send to the specialist because they're now actively engaged with the patient. From Sadira's point of view, when you have a family doctor who's really actively engaged with the patient and the patient is engaged with their doctor moving towards health, you dramatically cut the cost of the system because now the family doctor is really acting as the funnel to help the patient decide when they need a specialist, either inpatient or outpatient care. And so it drops the really expensive parts of medical care way down. And so within our Sidera model, we willingly actually reduce even the Sidera cost to the patient who's a part of a, a DPC practice, uh, because we know that patient uh, is not going to be costing the community as much. And that's amazing that you're able to discount for DPC members. Uh, and you touched upon another theme. It all comes back to the amount of time that is spent between a physician and a patient, not just in the exam room, but again, like you said, for the price of a cup of coffee, you get you know, nearly 24-7 access to a trusted physician. And so it's incredible that you guys have done the numbers, you've done the math, and found that the people in a DPC membership they're just not going to cost as much money to your organization or to other people within the organization in the long term because they are able to get the care that they need when they need it. And they're not going to just be shuttled to the next specialist or imaging center. I find that absolutely fascinating. That's, that's great to hear. Now, you mentioned earlier too that you initially just worked with groups. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, are you talking about um, groups of people with the same ideology, or are these employer groups? How does that function? That, that's a great question, Chris. Thank you for asking so I can clarify what I said. No, we began by working in, with employer groups. Philosophically, we were strongly committed to making this available to anybody and everyone. Uh, and in the employer market, uh, employers, of course, want to take care of all of their employees. I want to make sure every employee here, I don't mind what their background is, faith or otherwise. I want to make quite sure that we're blessing them with the benefits that they have. But the way the Affordable Care Act penalties were enumerated within the act, you had to take care of certain things. You had to take care of an individual mandate. Uh, and for employers, you also had two parts to the employer mandate that had penalties attached to them. So if we were going to find ways to deal with that, we needed to find a way to fit in with the law. Uh, and so what we could do was in the group environment, they could take care of both the individual mandate and the group mandates with some very, very thin layers of insurance, which they acquired separate from anything they did with us. Uh, basically, what is known in the law uh, as minimum essential coverage, which was aimed at preventative care. Uh, and there's more to it than that. It's more complex. But we helped the companies understand how they could take care of the law with only a very small part of what they had previously been spending on insurance premiums. And then they could come to us totally separate, no connection between those two, to help them actually deal with medical costs within the medical cost sharing model. And that's worked extremely well. And uh, we, we work all across the United States now in that fashion. It's, again, kind of staggering to have this simple of a product, this simple of a service available for the people who need it most. So final question here as we, as we get towards the end of our time here, 
how do people find out more information about what you're doing uh, and about health shares in general? The obvious place for people to go is to go to the World Wide Web. So you just need to go to sedera.com. Sedera is S-E-D-E-R-A, exactly as it uh, is pronounced, uh, .com. Uh, and there uh, they'll find full explanation of everything we do. Uh, our medical sharing guidelines are there for everybody in the world to look at. The cost is there in the sort of group environment. Uh, if people are individually wanting to join rather than through their companies, then they can reach out to us and we'll point them to uh, associations that they would be legitimate members of uh, where they could acquire us through the association. So it's very easy to, to find out information, very easy uh, to, to look on the web, go to the Better Business Bureaus or anything you want, uh, you know, look at uh, testimonials from uh, companies and individuals who are a part. We're just profoundly grateful that with you know, all the reviews out there in the sort of Google world nowadays where the good, the bad, and the ugly is shared, people are basically going to find that it's about 95% praise uh, and an occasional, we wish you had done this a little bit better or that a little bit better. Dr. Tony Dell, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. We wish you the best of luck and look forward to following all of your success. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. And that's going to be it for this episode of Healthcare Americana and for our 2019 season. Thanks for listening and get ready for those new episodes to drop sometime in the new year. Thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podchaser, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends and colleagues to download and listen to all Healthcare Americana shows at healthcareamericana.com. This episode was produced by iPodcast Pro. Capture your story, iPodcastPro.com.